We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsene Wenger loses his voice, but unfortunately for you, dear listener, none of us have. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. My real question is, if his voice is still gone this time next week, do you think Steve Bold could just say, don't worry, boss, I got this, read out the team sheet and say that Petr Cech is starting in goal before Arsene can say anything about it? Maybe? Something to think about. Uh, and here to think about just those kinds of critical questions, the deep probing questions of the universe, is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Awesome. Hi, Clive. Hello, hello. <laughs> I know you're not usually up first, buddy, but you know, this is, you, you got to be able to adjust to the competition. You know, you got to be tactical. I was just going to tell you what a fantastic open that was. And then I realized I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Fire in blanks. But, uh, you know, I'm reliably informed that he hasn't always done that. In any event, uh, we have let the man out of his box. We have opened Pandora's stats box and released the Scott. He is joining us for the main and only section of this podcast as neither Tim nor Paul was available. And also because we prefer Scott. Scott is at O underscore that underscore crab on Twitter. Hello, Scott. Hello. Which team are you adopting for the Russia World Cup? Oh, I don't know. I, it's it's hard to say. Not uh, not England. Maybe, not, uh, <laughs> can't say I have any English allegiance. No, I mean especially not with the uh, dearth of Arsenal players on board. I mean, Clive, can I ask you a question just real quick? This is something that I've always kind of a, as an American observer of Arsenal kind of want yep. to get your feeling on when you look at an England team that is a wash in Spurs players in particular this this cycle, but also the the usual Chelsea United. Uh, 
uh, Manchester City players, things like that. And uh, so so short on Arsenal talent. I mean, we assume Danny Welbeck will make it to Russia, although likely in a, a substitute role. Uh, Theo Walcott doesn't look like he's going to make it into that team if he hasn't, in fact, retired from international football. I'm not aware of that. And Jack Wilshire looks like he may get his way back in, although I doubt he'd be starting. I mean, do you find yourself torn at all, or when they pull on that England shirt, do their club allegiances just sort of fade away for you? Uh, I like watching England. I like to see what Southgate's doing. I think he's doing a interesting job, you know, laying out a formation. He's been bold. He's been saying, this is how we want to play. He's added speed. He's added energy. He probably misses a little bit of goal, but um, at the moment he's setting out a way of playing. So that's really good. I mean, the last time you saw an England major do that, I can't remember when, probably Terry Venables way back in 96. So give him the credit where it's due and the results will, in the summer, will no doubt people will judge him from there. When it comes to Arsenal, I, I think maybe the sad thing is you're you're scratching around those two players' names. But really, the sad thing is there's nobody else. There's no debate. We're not angry. We're not saying, well, he should be in and he should be in. And what does that tell you about your own sort of team, right? The, the, the balance, you know, the ages of the players that we've got. We sold a couple that are eligible. One is in and doing really well, and one that's been completely forgotten about, right, in Theo. So, yeah, it does sadden me, but it shows you that the style that Southgate wants to play, we don't play it, and we no longer have those players at the right ages. Maybe look at um, Chambers and Holding, and then you compare them. A few years ago, Chambers was close to the England team, and now you look at Harry Maguire and James Tarskowski and... Alfie Mawson and, you know, Keane, and they've all just gone past him. And is that because we don't play him or is that because Chambers is no longer good enough? And that's a debate that we have in this podcast very regularly. Yeah, and look, I mean, I while I have sympathy for the fact that you have to be uh, patriotic and support your nation, and you know, I, I totally understand that, the fact that I don't have to sit there and pump my fist when Deli Alley finds Harry Kane in on goal and Kane scores – like that's a weight off my my shoulders. That's that's a psychological burden that I don't have to bear. That you do. I can be rooting for Macedozo to slip a through ball into Thomas Muller while you're cheering on Henderson and Kane and Ali and Vardy and all these objectionable <laughs> bastards. So you know, they're they're yeah. Um, yeah go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> I was going to say there is there's some low moments where you have to watch Eric Dyer lumbering around the midfield. And you know, taking very long to move the ball from one foot to the other, then he walks out there with the armband. Moments like that, I do find puzzling. But some of the things that the manager's doing is actually quite interesting. But there's a few players there, particularly. Well, actually, the only one I've got an issue with is Dyer. I just don't think he's very good, right? So, um, but he Spurs at the moment. Spurs smell of roses, and we don't. Well, I, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I believe there was a prominent uh, English journalist who once called Dyer the English Busquets. So. Surely you must be excited wow. by that. Yeah. Um, all right, let, let's talk about the only team in world football that matters, and that is Arsenal Football Club. And uh, some good news, a boost right before the international break, in fact, with Alexander Lacazette returning to the squad. And Scott, I was kind of curious if you could remind us what we get from this player who we, we've forgotten. I mean, can you think of a player bought by any team, really, arguably, at the kind of price and with the kind of fanfare and excitement and expectation that Lacazette was brought into Arsenal that has had a more stop-start beginning to their career. I mean, certainly in recent Arsenal memory, I can't think of anything like it, and that's in part because obviously we broke our transfer record to bring him in. But 
what kind of player are we getting back? I mean, statistically, what kind of season was he having before he went out, and how important do you think it is that he's back for our uh, our Europa League quarterfinal? Uh, to me, I think it's a, it, it is a nice um, addition to have him back. And it is weird that he has kind of flown so far under the radar. I mean, if you look at what the other big teams did, I guess he was kind of the, the third biggest you know striker signing. Uh, Lukaku changed teams. Uh, Murata came into Chelsea, and then you know Lacazette was you know his price was you know maybe a third or you know two thirds of those two. Both of those were closer to a hundred million, and he was you know fifty sixty million. And then you know Arsenal went and broke their record again for another striker. So I think that's really pushed um, you know down his spotlight. Um, but to me, I thought he's had a, a very good season. Um, if you look at um, XG, um, he still ranks fairly highly, even though he's had the injuries. Um, he's he was our leading. 10, I mean, outside um, of expected. Alexis, is he? Is he still our leading goal scorer? Um, the leading goal scorer, um, I believe so. Yeah, I see. I have him um, eight goals, um, yep. and I don't see anybody else. Um, Alexis was at six when he left. Rams, so still he's at our six. leading goal scorer. <laughs> yes. So, so I mean, as as much as people have written him off, I mean, he's really done the job more than anybody else. Now, look at this point in the season for your leading goal scorer to be sitting on eight. It's nothing to write home about. But do you see him coming back into the team and being able to fit into, let's start with the league, fit into the system that we have. There was a lot of debate about whether he and Aubameyang should be played together. Presumably the manager is going to want to get him up to speed for the Europa League, so he's going to feel a lot of pressure to get him in there and play him a a little bit against Stoke in particular before the the first leg at home against uh, Cheska Moscow. Do you see them being able to play together stylistically, and do you think the manager will try that? I, I think that he has to try something. Um, you know, I, I really don't want to see uh, Aubameyang out on the wing because I think that really loses a totally lot agree. of what yep. he does. Um, so if it's, you know, more of, you know, give Lacazette more of like a support striker role um, so he can still remain central, but then it's the question of, well, what does that do with Ozil? But I guess maybe you give him a, a free role from, you know, one of the wings where, you know, say you can move around wherever you need to be. Um, I, I mean, it's really hard for me to see him going with a, a two strikers, but you know maybe that is you know what the what the player personnel calls for to be able to to maximize what we have, especially with so few actual wingers um, on the team. That's a great point. It's 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 who do you put out there on the wings? It's it is a really just slim pickings out there. Everybody um, wants to run the know, channels. Guitar, <laughs> Nobody wants exactly, to run the wings. Guitarian, Ozil, <laughs> yeah. You look at the guys that would would go out there, and it's they all want to get in that central. They can all do stuff from the outside, but that is not their preferred spot. So it it, it is a, a hard question because there really isn't a lot of balance in the attacking spots for Arsenal right now. Yeah, and, and as you've seen, he's he's not a pacey striker either. So it's not like it even in, in, injects any speed uh, up the pitch into your lineup by bringing him in. So, Clive, well, for, first of all, am I crazy to think that, and I do think this, by the way, that the manager is going to be tempted to stick with the team he used against Milan in that first leg, that he won't play Lacazette, that he'll keep Lacazette on the bench. Is that just crazy? I mean, Danny's hard running was really relevant against Milan, and I could see him sticking with that. I think he wants to. Well, I don't know if I think he wants to, or maybe I want to. I think he's going to move Lacazette to centre forward and play Welbeck off the left and move Ozil inside and play Mkhitaryan on the right. I think maybe the Jack mini injury 
gives him an excuse. Maybe him and Welbeck will share the game, you know, on that left-hand side. Or Urza will go to the flank, then Mkhitaryan will move. I think if I was if I was him, I would definitely want to make sure that I have you know, one and a half goal scorers, if you see what I mean. Two people that are used to scoring goals. We've got a lot of people who want to support goal scorers, but not enough goal scorers. Our goals for record is really, really poor. And um, So, yeah, I'm hoping he plays Welbeck and, and Lacazette. And just touching on Scott's point um, about wide players, we really have got a, a team full of what I call interior players. People who want to play on the inside of the pitch, right? And, and this is why I, I sort of get confused when people criticise Bellerin because how many players do we really have that like being mate, close to mate, the touchline? I, I got to stop you. Did you see the outfit from his latest Twitter post? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> Wife beater, sure acid wash was... jeans. I mean, that's why people hate the man, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I, I'm not sure that outfit would look good on me, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, what, it's what the kids are doing, right? So, um, <laughs> so yeah, get fair play to him. But um, he's got the personality to do that, right? But it's not just about Bellerin. You know, the white, the players that we have, that like the touchline, let's cherish them. We've only got about three in the whole squad, right? So, and I think as we develop this team next year, and um, we're talking about do we want wingers, what formation we want to play, I'm thinking maybe the way for this team is to have four good, very athletic, very fit, very strong fullbacks and play a, a narrow formation and leave the wide areas for fullbacks. If you want to go to four three three, it's gonna need it's gonna need a significant change for our personnel. And we have a lot of interior players like Urza and Mikatana that don't really want to be on the wings. So let's get them inside. Let's maybe make it a narrow formation, either a Christmas tree formation or a Brazil four two 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 formation. Do it something like that, you know. But I think we have to cherish our wide men or we have to invest in them. Because that's going to unlock this team, as well as a couple of good defenders and a couple of good settler midfielders. And when we get those things sorted out, I think we'll be in good shape. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's like, so like, simple. Like, Just Clive replace was, the team. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> I was just saying, yeah. Like, so I think Clive, you know, talking about the the four two two two. So that's you know what Razen Ballsport, you know, RB Leipzig, yeah. um, you yeah. know, really did last year to to great. They were very narrow and really yeah. required the the depth or the width from their fullbacks. But yeah. you know, they were very compact still in there and it really made them hard to beat through the middle which yeah. i think is something that arsenal would need to do especially with Definitely. their you know plethora of center you know people that want to be in the middle well i mean it, it's yeah. is it rocket science or pardon me i'm sorry rocket surgery to suggest that we should be playing to the strengths of the players that we have i mean i look i, I realize that these exotic formations are not necessarily what we're used to seeing from arson but if you have no wide players i mean why not set the team up to play narrow, to connect through the middle of the pitch. Now, I do think it is very difficult to play through teams through the center. And I think that RB Leipzig has had success doing that by playing in transition and through pressing and winning the ball off the opposition and then going with rapid transitional attacks. I don't think you can pass your way through the center of most teams other than Arsenal, obviously. Um, So, you know, look, I, I agree with that. Ultimately, my feeling on Welbeck is... It's clear he adds something, but I can't put my finger on what it is. I mean, he's he runs, and he's energetic, and defenders don't really know where he's going to pop up, and he gives them uncertainty. He creates uncertainty, which is half the battle. It's just the other half of the battle, which is executing from the uncertainty that you create that he doesn't necessarily have. I think the smoothness, the calmness, the technique, and potentially the finishing of Lacazette could really complement him well. I just worry that Arson is going to look at it and say, Lacazette hasn't played much 
in so long. He hasn't been integrated into the side. He hasn't really played with Mkhitaryan at all. Not really. He hasn't played with Mkhitaryan at all. And then he may be tempted to say, we won, you know, five, what was it, five, two, five, one on aggregate against Milan. So I'm going to stick with what worked there. And I, I think it'd be a mistake because even if it is enough to get us past Seska Moscow, like, I do believe we need Lacazette to be starting games for us in the semifinal and final of the Europa League if we get that far and if we're going to win it. So he has to try to reintegrate him. And I think it does start this weekend against Stoke. And that's why it's such an interesting problem because he's he's got this guy, Obamayang, who can only play in the league and it'd be crazy not to use him because you paid so much for him and he's a, a world-class player and everybody wants to see him play, but he has to get Lacazette minutes. So I'll be curious to see how he manages that. Now, I want to play a game with you, Scott, that we play on this podcast a lot, but you haven't had a chance to play uh, because you've been stuck in your stats section. And it's called Guess the Groin Procedure. So... Uh, you can go first. What would you guess was the groin procedure that Ramsey had during the international break? Uh, I hope a minor one. Um, well, I, I mean, it, he's back, so it had to be minor. I mean, I, I, do you want you want to throw some some options out there? Some things you think it might be. I I, I went with vasectomy, but maybe a little too young. Doesn't have kids yet, so that might have been might have been a weird one. No, he, he has kids. He has. Oh, he kids. has. Wait, Ramsey has kids. Yeah, yeah. Of course he does. I mean, yeah, 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 so, yeah. So vasectomy. Do we think? It's it's definitely possible. You know, that's you know maybe he did pull the get the vasectomy to be able to watch March Madness like so many people here do in America. <laughs> there you go. He wanted, he wanted it, to watch American it, college basketball. <laughs> was it definitely a groin procedure? Was it, they I, they I said it was a that. minor procedure on his groin. I didn't know. I didn't know if it was groin. They I mean, said it could groin. be anything, right? Uh, okay. Well, hernia? Yeah, it's just too short recovery time. Yeah, hernia procedures, they do it laparoscopically now. I, I speak from experience. Yeah. It could be. I'm not sure you'd be sprinting around a training pitch in two weeks, though. You know, I'm not sure about with the vasectomy. That, but, um, yes. So I, I still think that's. Yeah. Do we do we agree? We want to land on vasectomy here. Speculating about going. Yeah, injuries? I went on. I went on vasectomy. Oh, I, I actually oh. went on ingrowing toe now. No. Well, I thought it could be something that small. Right? It's just a, something that you think. You know what? It's uncomfortable. I need to get it done so I can finish the season strong. It's something like that. Well, I mean, I I think a vasectomy fits all those fits all those categories. All right, Scott. <laughs> And grown hair, some cysts. Who knows? It could be anything. This, yeah. this got really yeah. unpleasant really quickly, so let's move on. And, and and Aaron, whatever it was, we hope you're doing well, and we're glad to have you back. So I guess then the next thing we should come to is uh, some talk around the manager that's been popping up. The manager's been doing a lot of talking, uh, aggravating British journalists by giving uh, more uh, open interviews, more uh, juicy interviews to his friends at BN Sports which I think is pretty funny, Tempest and Teacup kind of stuff. But anything from his interviews and public comments over the international break that stood out to you, Scott, as being uh, ear-catching or uh, worthy of debate? To me, a lot of this is it's hard to really go too into depth because it's there's still so much question about or what's going to actually happen. Is the decision going to be in his hands or will the board... Uh, and the board is in Stan Kroenke. Will he actually pull the trigger at the end of the season? And what would actually cause something like that? It's to me, there's still uh, where is the power is really the the bigger question. Is it going to be his decision, or is it going to be someone making a decision for him to continue? His comments certainly don't lead you to believe, though, that he's just going to magnanimously walk away and say, I, "I realize that my time is done." Right? I mean, he's still talking exactly. like no, someone. Yeah, if it's his decision, he's you know going to stay. Well, I think that that's almost a hundred percent. Like it would have to be you know something crazy happening in his life 
that would make him want to step away and not you know honor his contract. I, and do you think that there's any series of results that would change that, or based on what he said and where we are in this season, you get the sense that in his mind, he's he's the Arsenal manager to the end of his contract. I, I yeah, I mean, we've seen you know things go bad, and he always thinks that he can fix it, and you know that's his mentality, and that's kind of the mentality you have to have if you're going to be a top level coach. You cannot have really any doubt in yourself and you're you know you always have to believe that you have a fix coming otherwise you know you won't be able to get to this level so i think in his mind he always believes that he can do it and he is the right man for the job and that i can't imagine him really you know choosing to step down i mean this has to be you know 95 percent. you know this is what's going to happen it would have to be an absolute implosion i think you know, not win another game for the rest of the season kind of a thing. Is, is he moving the goalpost, though? I mean, it's always been judge me in May, judge me in May. I realize that, I, you know, I am responsible for results and judge me in May. And then he, he came out with this sort of weird judge me over the 22 years I've been here line. Is that a move of the goalposts? Is that, is that sort of unfair in the context of what he's always said in the past about how he should be evaluated? Yeah, I think it definitely is. Um, but, I mean, if you look at his results, it, you know, his results are consistent. You know, the the points that he gets a season, you know, it's always in that, you know, low 70s, mid-70s when he's doing well. He'll get up to, to over the 80-point mark. And, you know, he's been doing that even, you know, when our place has dropped in the league because the other teams have gotten better. So um, he has been very consistent over his, you know, his long run. So when we were judging him in May, those were always acceptable results. So now I think if we look back, you know, over the 22 years, we look and say, maybe that's not good enough anymore. And we need to change something. At least that's, you know, in my opinion, what's going to need to happen. So even if we are changing what's the, the final, you know, decision, I think it is time for him to go, even if he's not going to make that choice. I think Steve Bold would be sorry to see him go because, as we heard uh, just today, he really enjoys sitting next to him. So, you know, I think that's that's important. So uh, putting that to one side for a second, Clive, I mean, in terms of the comments he made, I know there was one that kind of yeah. particularly caught your ear where he, I would say, not directly said that he was the victim of ageism, but he sort of came near the vicinity of suggesting that ageism was at play in the way he was being discussed at, in terms of his performance and the, the future of his position at Arsenal. I mean, do you have any thoughts on the argument that maybe there's some ageism at play here? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to listen to those comments and and read the reactions, right? And so my first thought was, mate, mate you're not, this is not ageist, this is about points accumulation, right? And as Scott's alluded to, you know, our points accumulation has been very, very similar for a long, long time. But the rest of the league has changed. The dynamics of the league has changed. We're sitting 33 points behind City and nearly 30 goals behind City and goals four. Right, so the game has changed around him, and I think that's what he doesn't realise what he's saying there. What people are thinking is, well, actually, the game slightly changed. The requirements have changed. Success levels have changed. Criteria have changed. You are still holding this ship nice and steady, but to keep it steady, you need to do more. You need to score more. You need to concede less. And I think he may be a victim of boredom. I think he's more or less saying, I'm not new. I'm older. You are bored of me. And that's why everything I do is not recognised. Whereas my, my peers around me, 
anything they do is new and fresh. A lot of things that they are doing, he's done before, and he's forgotten to, to sustain. There's nothing new we're seeing from the other managers. He's had periods when he's done it before. He doesn't do it in the same style. He does it in his style. And what Wenger's thinking, well, they're not teaching me anything. But what fans are thinking, we look at the league table and we're seeing how adrift we are. In the end, your results give you the strength, give you the certainty, give you the voice. When your results are good, people are really interested in what you have to say. When your results are poor or mediocre, People look at you and say, what's he talking about? They're not interested in your view. Your view loses weight. He loses credibility. And as a club, as you know, Scott's saying, we have to work out what do you want to do. And I think within the club, there are people saying things like, we want you to think about your future. They don't want to say to him, we want you to go. He knows the values of the club are really strong and they don't want to sack him. So he will stay for as long as he possibly can and force the club into an action. And then you ask yourself, who is strong enough to perform that action? Yeah. And that's the dilemma we've got coming up in the next few weeks, months. Well, and, and you wonder if, you know, J Josh Kroenke is certainly spending a lot more time around the club, and you wonder if the responsibility might fall to him with Stan uh, building a $700 billion lair in Los Angeles that will eventually just be a, a huge biodome that goes over the whole city uh, somewhere yeah. within which the Los Angeles Rams will play NFL football. Um, well, so, okay, so then, I mean, look, I, I think it is patently ridiculous that he is the victim of ageism, and that's not because ageism doesn't exist. Of course it does, but it's because it doesn't impact him. I think football fans can put anything aside if the results are good enough. Uh, we've seen <laughs> we've seen moral relativism at work in football, whether it was Liverpool fans supporting Luis Suarez through his little um, bitey racist period or whatever the case may be. We've, we've seen uh, these, these fans be able to be moral relativists where uh, winning is concerned. But I, I think with respect to Arsene Wenger, maybe the term is familiarity breeds contempt, you know, which is that we... We have become so familiar with him that he, we may have lost sight of some of his charms, and we are seeing yep. his failings much more clearly than we're seeing his charms, but I think his failings are a lot more prevalent than they were. Here's what I will say about Arson and the appreciation he should get and, sh and deserves. I think if it had been a hotshot young new manager who had come in five or six seasons ago and done what Arson has done over the last five or six seasons, I think... In the beginning, he would have probably gotten more credit for what he achieved than Arson got for what he achieved, keeping us top four, uh, the, the FA Cup, all that, obviously. I do think these last couple of seasons have been abject failure domestically with respect to the league, with respect to the performances in the Champions League. I think that even a new manager, even with the FA Cup victory, would have been under pressure especially given the way this season is going. So I, I don't know that he's been judged any more harshly than a, a new manager would have been if they had come in and done the same thing. Uh, having said that, some interesting things popped up uh, within the last week. There was about a three-hour period where we were uh, going to get Thomas Tuchel as our next manager. Tuchel? Is it, is it Tuchel or Tuchel? Does anyone know? I don't know. I, I say Tuchel. Tuchel? But, yeah, but you know what? Don't ask me to pronounce it. <laughs> Scott's not the expert on that one. How about we just call him Tommy T? Um, so Tommy T was linked with us. So it got me thinking, you know, there are a couple names going around. There was a glowing piece about uh, Vieira and the work that he's doing as a manager and how, how well-respected he is and how seriously he's taking the job. We've been linked with Arteta, uh, Jardim, Jardim, 
I'm starting to sound like the guys from the Double, Double Pivot podcast with my pronunciations here. Um, uh, Tommy T, all those guys. So first things first, Scott, what was your reaction to the Tommy T links? Is he someone that you want? I mean, look, I totally am aware that he's fallen out spectacularly with Sven Mislintat, and that was part of why uh, Mislintat left Dortmund. So putting that to one side, would that be someone that you'd be really excited to see come to Arsenal? And, and what kind of football do you associate with him, and how much do you rate his talent? Uh, to me, I, I, that would be an exciting um Signing, or I mean, signing. It's a, a manager, a, you know, appointment. I guess well, it's a signing. He's just to sign a contract. That's true. Um, so to me, that would be one of the the more exciting um, plays. Um, he plays the the good, strong attacking football. You know, in the the Pep Guardiola mold. Uh, you know, really focused on uh, positioning and working the ball that way through fast um, attack. So get your get the ball in the good position and then attack fast. Um, you know, that very classic German style that you see in the Bundesliga um, over the last few years. Um, so to me, that would be very exciting. It would go well, I think, with what um, Arsenal are known for with uh, the good attacking style. Um, so to me, that one would be exciting. Um, I think you would have a lot of the same failings with uh, the defense. Um, so I'm not sure if you necessarily fix that, but at least Arsenal would play fun attacking style, which I think um, would make people fairly happy. Um, I think you'd give us a, a chance to win things. Um, you know, it may not be the, the league per se, because I th- still think we are, you know, right at that, you know, low, you know, not quite at that same echelon as, you know, Manchester City or Manchester United, where we can spend, you know, as much money as we need to. But I think that there really shouldn't be any reason that Arsenal can't be at the, the same level as Chelsea, um, who has you know, won the league over and over again because they seem to be going to a more self-sustained model. So I think Arsenal should be able to, to compete and win things that Chelsea has won, um, which would be you know, definitely put them in you know, conversations as the team that can win the Champions League. Not someone that you'd be a favor for, but you, know, you get to the, the last eight, which Arsenal haven't done in a long time, and that they would say, hey, they have a chance. Um, but you, know, you look at Arsenal now and they, they get to the, top, you know, to the round of 16, it's like, well, they're out. So I think that would be a change if Tuchel came. Um, Jardim, I think to me, he seems like he'd be an interesting one, depending on how um, Arsenal move um, to the future, if they're going to start to look to go more the Monaco route of you know, bringing in young, um, not necessarily proven players to try to um, you know, kind of game the system that way to you know, kind of catch lightning in a bottle with a bunch of um, young up-and-coming players all at once to do what Monaco did against PSG. Um, so that one would be probably a little bit more of a, a counterattacking style instead of the, um, you know, control the ball, more of a control the space um, kind of a manager. Um, so uh, to me, both of those guys would be really interesting, and I would be um, excited with both of them. Uh, to me, it's almost like you were saying earlier how if a, a new if a, if you know say Arsenal had changed managers in 2000, you know, after 2011-12, so that 2012-13 season, if a new manager had come in then and say, you know you know, had the the run that Arson had, I think that he would definitely even now be, you know, fighting for his job. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily that Arson is, you know, being pushed out, you know, because he hasn't gotten Unfairly, results. Right. Or, or because yeah. he just sort of lost perspective on who he is as a manager. I, I think even, you know, a new manager came in there, he would, you know, be falling back. You know, I've won three trophies, you know, three major trophies and, you know, in five years, something like that. And, you know, I have a little bit of rope before I'm, you know, getting axed because, you know, we're not Chelsea. We don't, we don't, you know, cut people at the end of the season after, you know, winning the Champions League. 
or the league. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. That, that, look, I I agree with all that. I I think it's it's tough because I, what I wanted from a manager, I I think before we got Mislintat and Raul Sayeni, say any, um, is I wanted a manager who opened up a market for us to some of the best young talent because I really associated the manager not just with the tactical innovations but with recruitment. But we now have a team in place that I think is going to take greater ownership over recruitment, which makes the manager more of a purely tactical signing. And I got into a lot of debates on Twitter about Tommy T., and I, I think it would be a great appointment. People say he hasn't achieved anything. We need someone with a bigger pedigree, a bigger ego. Well, first of all, if he goes to a better, bigger club, not that there are many better, bigger clubs in Dortmund, but there are ones that he could go to and he succeeds there, he may no longer even be a manager we can get. I think you have to point to Arsene Wenger coming to us from Japan as the last great example of us doing something a little bit risky and it working out. I think the brand of football that he played was self-evidently the kind that we want to play. He took Dortmund to the highest point total ever in the Bundesliga not to win the title, running fairly close to Pep Guardiola's all-conquering Bayern Munich side. Well, not all-conquering, but Bundesliga conquering. And he got them playing Champions League football when they had finished, what, seventh before he he got there, or eighth or whatever it was, following Klopp's sort of mini implosion there. So I think there's a lot to like. I admit that he's not super experienced, but he does have some experience with the players that we have, which I think is relevant. So there's a lot to like there. Having said that, I think names like Allegri, Sarri, Jardim, uh, obviously Simeone, who I don't think is realistic, and I'm not sure that his style would be as appreciated at Arsenal. I think he would be under tremendous pressure to win something big because I'm not sure how much we would love watching Arsenal play that way. Now I can hear people screaming, what, are you kidding? It'd be great to see Arsenal play some defensively dour, organized football for a change. I wonder if people would stick to that when they were watching it. But maybe I'm harshly criticizing Simeone for something that's become more of a trope about him than a reality. So, Clive, uh, I, I don't know. To me, I think mm-hmm. you could look at what you know Manchester United has seen with Jose Mourinho where they are complaining. They're in second place, and they are complaining about yeah, the not football's playing fucking attacking horrible. football. Yeah. So to me, I, I could I could totally see that happening with Arsenal. We're so used to, you know, Cavalier attacking football, where as soon as, you know, something changes there, and it's a completely different style, it may not sink in, in long, unless there's, you know, big silverware coming. Yeah, and, and having said that, look, Simeone has emphasized d- defensive football at Atletico Madrid, but that's not to say that he doesn't have other ways of approaching it. We don't know. Uh, we don't know if he might approach it differently with different personnel in a different league. Hard to say. So, Clive, first thing I'd love to do, actually, because I think this makes great radio, is rank for me from the one you most want to the one you least want, the following managers. Are you ready? Oh, man, I want to talk about the managers. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, you can talk about them all, but I just want you to rank them first. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm just going to give you names, and then you put them in order. Allegri, Sari, Jardim, Tommy T, um, uh, Simeone, Vieira, Arteta. Well, okay, I can remember all them. Well, Allegri won. He's one. Um, I had a Simeone for you? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Simeone is almost last. Okay. Right, so, is that a stylistic thing, also? Um, I just—it's not realistic. He's going to—if he leaves Spain, he's going to go to Italy. We okay. So just, just for, forget him for a second. So, so go. So Allegri yeah. won. Allegri won. Um, I like Tuchel to mm-hmm. His name is pronounced three. Tommy T. By the way. Okay. Tommy uh, T. Okay. Uh, okay. Jardim, Jardim three. Um, 
Arteta, it's not realistic for me. He's a coach, one year as a coach. That's just a nice to have. He's an assistant. Um, Vieira, Vieira's got potential. He'd be next on the list for me. Um, I think he's got potential, but I just don't think it's now. I think he needs to have a UK job to see what he does and then um, have a little bit more closer scrutiny. But yeah, that's my that's my order. And then um, Simeone would be... What about Sarri? He's three. doing wonders at Napoli. They play I, I some got, of the best I, football I, in the world right now. You, you know what, mate? I, I know what I know. I, I know those guys. I don't know Sarri, if I'm honest with you. I don't pretend that I know every single European player and every single European manager because I just don't. I Funny enough, Allegri, uh, one of my mates, you know, Giles, told me about him a couple of years ago. And I started to have a closer look at him. And when you think about what we need and what's going to happen, so when a new manager comes on board, what's going to happen? There's going to be multiple reactions, right? It's going to be a seismic moment in our history. So within the club fan base, we're going to just explode of excitement because something's new. I mean, even seeing Steve Bold in a press conference today was something new. I got sort of excited to see a different voice talk about Arsenal for the first time in ages. So the new manager will be, if he's the right person, if it's an allegory, the right person, we will absolutely love him and watch every detail of what he does. There'll be another flip side to that. Everybody will suddenly look at Arsenal Wenger differently. He's almost like a, a player that doesn't play. He's injured. He gets better. The moment he loses a game, that person's going to have to have terrific strength to manage the media, to manage the backlash, to manage people looking at his every move. Right? So you look at Manchester United, David Moyes got eaten by that. He lost his, he lost his confidence. He lost his stature. And so the reason why I say Allegri is what I think that's what the club needs. I think he has a presence and a respect He's followed a big major like Conte at Juventus and then improved upon what the guy did. I mean, that's the sort of person you want. Someone who's gone into a really big club, not been phased by the pressure, not been phased by the fact they've won things and then improved it and continued it and improved his record in Europe. So I look at it holistically and think what sort of pressure he's going to be under. I look at a young Tuchel. I don't know Jardine well enough. I think he may be, strangely enough, that he's... His communication skills and his dour personality, he doesn't seem somebody that would be phased by pressure. I think he's quite interesting. Um, Tuchel's had issues regarding managing relationships, managing players, managing seniority within the board. So that would be interesting to see how he does under pressure. But again, with Allegri, the reason why I like him is that he won't come here unless the project is exciting. He won't come here unless he's going to be supported. He won't come here unless he's going to be funded and given a chance to win. So that's why I want him to be the one, because he's not coming here to finish fourth. I think it's very important the next manager drives our philosophy and drives our strategy. And I have this theory, Elliot. I actually think if Allegri comes, I think our self-sustaining model is going to be threatened. It's going to have to change. I think the money that we have in the bank saved will not be enough to take us where you want to go. So we're going to have to be sponsored by Walmart or something like that. Do you see what I mean? Similar to what Man City have done to really bring in the extra commercial value so we can raise our wages because we are hamstrung with our wages at the moment. We can't raise it, the percentages that we have. We can't do it. So I think we're going to have to potentially, if you want to get back, if we don't get in Champions League this year, our self-sustaining model is under threat. And I can hear people saying, don't be silly, Cloud, that won't change. Well, if we want to get back and we don't make it this year to Champions League, 
I truly believe that's under threat and we're going to have to try a different way to mm. support the major. My, my only counter-argument to that is there's really only two clubs left in the Premier League that don't have a self-sustaining model that is similar to ours. I mean, you could point to Chelsea, but I think you have to be realistic in saying that Chelsea have turned the tap off, that Roman Abramovich has turned the tap off, that they are trying to be self-sustaining and they're operating that way, at least to some extent. Manchester City can can create whatever bogus numbers they want because they're soft power backed by a nation. And Manchester United print money, so their commercial deals put them in another stratosphere. Outside of that, Liverpool are getting where they are doing it in a self, according to a self-sustaining model, Spurs are doing it on a on a shoestring on a budget. And to be fair, they may have sort of stumbled onto a golden generation, the likes of which they'll never find again, and it won them fuck all. So, haha. Um, and and I think Chelsea are sort of operating self-sustainably. So while I agree that United, in theory, and City in practice, are out of our league, and we would just need some incredible variants to catch them, I certainly think in in terms of re-entrenching ourselves in the top four. We should be the third or fourth richest club in the Premier League, and therefore we should be the third or fourth placed club in the Premier League year in, year out. I mean, do you disagree with that assessment? No, I, I don't. I, I'm projecting forward, so I can't be right. I'm projecting forward to the, a new major coming in and how we're going to support him. Now, commercially, with the Premier League wages rules, we are trapped. So we're going to have to do we some do have real... all our new deals coming up, right? I mean, we we, ha- we are negotiating new deal, new kit sponsorship, new kit manufacturer, yep. right? So so we have the it's chance to It's a year or so away. That. It's yeah. a year or so away, right? So I'm talking about... Just, we, let's, let's just stay with next season, right? So with next season, we may have to sell somebody big. And it's not, it's not the transfer fees, it's the wages, right? So we're going to have to think about our wage bill. We have to think about our high wage earners. Yes, there are some people coming into their careers. Yes, I'm afraid Santa Cazorla may not get another contract. There are There's some housekeeping to be done. But it's going to have to be very, very smart. I'm not saying that we're going to just go out there and and, and Stan's going to put $200 million in our bank account. That's, that's not going to happen. Uh, what I said was the self-sustaining model could be under threat. We may have to project a bit forward financially rather than save as much money as we have we are the most one of the most cash cash rich clubs in the world that model may change we may have to go into debt to support the major if it's the right manager right so if you're coming to a job you want to succeed so just project forward in your own mind and think is anyone going to come in with these current you know, high wage bill. I mean, our wage bill is, I think, going to be £230 million, which is very similar to Chelsea's. And you look at the trophies of the last 10 years, that's not, we're not getting the value, right? So we have to think about that. And I think it may take time, but if we want to, if we change management this summer, I don't think we're going to wait that time. So it'd be quite interesting to see the model that we have. And I, and I don't presume it's going to stay the same. It could be under threat. Yeah, I, and I would say this, though. I mean, there has to be a clearer, laser-focused strategy for how you're building a squad. If I think Arsene Wenger has been guilty of anything over the past five years, it's having no clear driving principle to the squad he's trying to build. Look at the purchases he's made. They've gone into positions we either didn't need or didn't fit. We bought a 55-million-pound center forward to buy a 60-million-pound center forward six, five, five months later. Uh, you know, we we took uh, a lot of uh, wages and put it onto a left wing back stroke left back from Germany who then basically fell out of favor and stopped being in the squad almost as quickly as he arrived. We bought Granit Xhaka saying he was box to box and then realized he wasn't. 
there was a lot of money spent in a lot of weird places. I mean, Mustafi showed up, and then it looked like we were ready to get rid of him. We bought Chambers. We weren't sure we want him. We bought uh, Holding. We weren't sure we want him. There's there's a lot of this stuff that has Lucas gone Perez. on. Yeah, Lu- Lucas Perez came and went. Now, to be fair, I think Lucas Perez was brought just to be depth, just in case, as a backup, you know, when we were crying out for more. So I can, I can almost excuse that. But to your point, you're right. Look, uh, you look at Borussia Dortmund, and Dortmund on a, a fraction of our budget, built some really impressive teams by just being more efficient in the market, taking better shots at young talent and getting it right with players like Aubameyang, with players like uh, Usmane Dembele, Christian Pulisic, um, you know, like Pulisic, and I can go on and on and on like that. So and maybe, I, and maybe that's the model that we're going for, Elliot. Maybe. Well, we could go with the hybrid model. Coming. Right? We, we yeah, can go with the hybrid. Maybe that's the model we're going for. Maybe we're going to go young, and then we're going to splash a couple of stars on top. I do wonder about the whole Ozil deal. I think, obviously, commercially, it's important to the club, and maybe we'll find out when we've got Adidas kits on and we we get extra monies for it. But that wage bill really does hold us. It holds us back. I think it holds us back tactically on the pitch. We're forced to play a certain way. I do. I do. I am concerned about that level of wages going into one individual mm. it's very unarsenal like but it's old thinking it really I, is i think look i think to be a successful club in world football now you have to have a couple of stars and you have to put those stars on go on going rate wages and i i realized that maybe ozil was not the guy to do that with i i i am agnostic on that point but i think if you mate, look that, at that's that's not going right mate that's not going right well, I, what I'm saying is going right for your superstar. I mean, what does yeah. Barca play Messi? What does Real Madrid play Cristiano Ronaldo? What does Manchester United pay Paul Pogba? What does Manchester City pay, uh, I mean, pick, take your pick, Aguero uh, or, or De Bruyne? What does, you, you know, and, and you get the Do point. Around, you get, what does Lewandowski pay at, at Bayern? No, and, and mm-hmm. I, get, I get it. It's really, really, really high. But I think also at Arsenal... You have to put the lie to the idea that you are trying to get everybody on a shoestring budget. Now, did we go too far? I mean, it could be a case of we were losing Alexis, we were staring yep. at losing Ozil for free in the face, and much like Theo Walcott's contract that he kind of backed us into a couple of seasons ago, Ozil got eighty grand a week more than he would have if we had renegotiated it when we had a stronger hand to play. We didn't have that stronger hand to play, but to go out and get real talent, I mean, the, the guy's got you know, whatever, 10 times the followers on Twitter that the club has. He is a huge brand. He is a huge selling point for the club to other players. I do think what's changed, it was with Mislintat and Raul in the front office now, in the back office, whatever you want to call it, they are going to be in charge of recruiting and signing talent. They are going to put the money on a spreadsheet, figure out where it can go, and figure out how to best and most efficiently put it out there to support Whatever the manager, the next manager says is his ideology about how he wants to build a squad. And this is why I don't think it has to be some super experienced guy. I always hear he has to have Premier League experience. Who are these Premier League experienced managers that are thriving? Jose Mourinho's best period in the Premier League was when he arrived having never been in the Premier League. Uh, Conte won the league in his first season coming into the Premier League. Klopp, I think, has done a really nice job at Liverpool. Granted, it's taken him some time. But he had never managed in the Premier League. I don't see, you know, Pochettino's been excellent. I, I just don't think you have to have this Premier League experience. And the stronger the front office, the stronger the stratification of the roles within the club are, the less the manager has to have experience because he can really just be a coach. You know, when you look at Arsene Wenger, he is in charge of recruitment. He is in charge of paying the staff. He is in charge of, of 
paying the players and re- renegotiating their contracts and finding new players and putting the team out on the pitch. And I think the next manager is going to be able to just say, I'm going to just go coach the team. And that's my job. And I'll tell the front office, hey, I could really use a new left wing back or I really need a, a right wide forward. And they'll say, all right, we'll figure it out. But that's about it. So, Scott, I mean, do you think that this, these new roles, these new faces in the club make the role of the new manager a lot more simplified, which means you can afford to take a risk on someone based on their tactical philosophy, their ideology, as opposed to them needing to you know, be this experienced hand at, at steering a huge operation yeah and you know and a lot of this could be you know just being american and you know this is the you know the model in american sports where you know you you know the manager is the first team coach and that is really all that they are in charge of with really some notable exceptions session. you know i don't think you'd say yeah. that about like a bill belichick at the new england patriots or something but sure you know and a lot of times when that happens you know it's the coach has you know a huge amount of leverage and he's able to really work for control. And a lot of times that really blows up and it doesn't really work out well. You know, you can look in, at Doc Rivers with the Clippers where he just goes and says, oh, that guy used to play for me. Or, I, you know, I remember when he played in the Eastern Conference for me. I'm going to sign him, even though that was five years ago. And the Clippers, you know, really imploded um, from their, their team. So to me, a lot of that is it's just it's in modern sports. It feels like there's so much going on that it's really hard to have one person be able to control that much and you really have to get the absolute right person otherwise things can really go bad out of really quickly um, but you also really need a philosophy um, that drives you to be able to do that to be able to uh, have everybody understanding what we're working towards so you know you can't have you know constant turnover at the top and constantly changing what you're looking for because then you're going to have lots of waste and you're going to be discarding players. And I think that that's something that would absolutely kill you um, with this new uh, wage structure that's, you know, being imposed in the the Premier League where you cannot, you know, change your wages, you know, without, um, you know, increasing, increasing your, your revenue. Your, your commercial revenues, yeah. Exactly. So to me, I think it, it is important that, you know, Arsenal seem to be having two guys that have power, and that can create a philosophy um, that will, you know, guide the club and that they can get people in there and that you can get everybody moving in the right direction. Because that is something that I think, you know, you touched on this earlier, where what is the philosophy of Arsenal that Arsenal has, I mean, has there been, been one? Is, building right now? Is that the problem what, really with Arsenal, that he hasn't had a, co- a coherent squad building philosophy in the past few seasons? It, it really does seem that because, you know, you, you look back, you know, a you know, maybe four or five years ago, and you know, it was at the the very end of the the Tiki Taka. You know, Arsenal were you know short passing, slick passing, you know, really quick. Um, but you know, they moved and held possession. But now, you know, you look at Arsenal, and there really isn't the kind of players to be able to do that on the team. There's no Arteta, there's no Rizisky, there's the, the players aren't there um, to be able to do that style anymore. Uh, there's no Cazola that's helping to be able yeah. to do it. Um, you know, then it kind of seemed like he was kind of looking to, to transfer into more of a, a counterattacking team. You know, he saw Leicester be able to do that. I think that was almost the, the plan after um, that, that season that we came in second to Leicester is that we're going to kind of emulate that. We're going to sit back and we're going to become a counterattacking team. But then we didn't really have the players for that. And he kind of changed his mind. And now it's like maybe we're going to be a pressing team. And it's like these things have changed so much in the last few seasons that it's like it's all very muddled. And we have we have players that fit one role, but they don't fit the other role. And it's, yeah. you know, now we have 
an unbalanced squad and there's just there almost needs to be a philosophy imposed from the top down and you know you need to be able to to work within that and it's 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 tough yeah, it, it is. And no one on a but look, we have a lot of very talented players in our squad. Make no mistake about it. Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang, Lacazette, uh, Aaron Ramsey, Granit Xhaka is is skilled. He is a talented player. Mesut Ozil, but no one working on a budget would would allocate the resources of that budget into building a squad the way ours looks, where everybody is a ten. <laughs> you know, we have we have two number nines and five tens. Like that's not that's not how you build a squad, and that's how our squad yeah. has been constructed. So, yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, I was gonna say it's 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 not even the players; it's the types, it's the player types that allow us to adapt to the ebbs and flows and the changes in the game. Right, so we have a certain type of player that forces us to play a certain way. If that way is disrupted, we have an inability to react to that. Right, so in, and the best teams have the ability to play one way. When they're stopped, they're able to overcome and continue to play their way or another way. And that's what his best teams had. So his best teams had multiple ways of playing. They could play without the ball. They could play with the ball. And then he went young. And when he went young, it, he was forced to do so because of the financial situation. But we all sort of bought into it because we could see what he's doing. We spoke about Southgate earlier on, the England major. There's a lot of positivity around him because we can see what he's doing. All right, so that's the same with Wenger. We didn't like... We liked what... We liked the fact we were doing quite well with young players that shouldn't have been doing so well. We liked the fact we played PSV Eindhoven in the last day of the Champions League with two 19-year-old centre midfielders. And, OK, we got beat, but we, we could understand where we were going and we could understand, looking forward, that they were going to be better. But then we got some money in 2014 and money has caused him issues. The expectation of him having to spend that money, when really I'm not sure how comfortable he is, having the amount of money with the amount of pressure, with the amount of informed fans that knows exactly what's in the bank, saying, you should be buying this player, you should be buying this player, you should be buying that player. And he bought a couple, didn't know what to do. Got to the Peter Check summer, didn't do anything. Massive mistake. Did not build upon the stars that he bought. When you buy Alexis Sanchez, you've got to think, how do I surround him? Do I? He's not just a cost for Alexis Sanchez. Do I buy a Vidal to make sure he's happy? That's what you've got to think about. You don't just buy one. You've got to think about how you surround them. When you buy Ozil, you should have bought a Bamiyang two or three years ago. Yeah, that's what he bought Matthew passer. Flamini for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once you've got a great pass like that, well, look at what, how he was successful, finding Ronaldo in his sleep and making sure you give him a, sim- a similar sprinter to go and find. What do we do? We give him Giroud. You know, these, sort, these are the decisions that, we, that we're seeing. These are... These are the reasons why, Scott, you're right to question his strategy and and forward thinking when really we've just been reactive to the, the holes that we, we find within the squad. And now we look at this squad, high wage bill, lack of two-way players, looking for the Champions League. If we lose to CSK, my goodness, last one, turn off the lights, right? Season's yeah. over. Look, I, I totally agree with that. I just think... I don't have a problem. See, I think the way the modern super club has to be constructed outside of teams like Barca, United, Madrid, City, who have unlimited resources, is that you get 
a couple of superstars. Maybe those superstars for us right now are Ozil, Aubameyang, and you know Mkhitaryan. I, I don't know if he would fall into that category, or you know whoever you one more central midfielder you're going to put on a big wage. Maybe we have to make the decision if that guy's Aaron Ramsey. I know Clive wouldn't do that because he hates Aaron Ramsey, but like maybe that's the guy. But but then you build with squad players who have the the right kind of qualities for the position that you're looking for, right? I. I don't think you can look at too many teams where you'd say one through 11 and also on the bench, there's incredible quality at every position. When I look at Liverpool, Liverpool have a lot of weaknesses. They have a lot of meh players. They have a lot of mediocre players. They have a lot of players that they're putting into positions, hoping they can get the job done. The way they use Milner, the way they use Henderson, who I think is a very limited player. Oxlade Chamberlain, who I don't think has improved at all, despite the fact that the media keep trying to put this veneer of improvement upon him that I don't necessarily see. is just as inconsistent as he was. But they have Mo Salah, and they have Firmino, and they have a, a hot and cold, streaky uh, Mane, Sadio Mane. You know, and, that, and, and that's where they emphasize their play. Their play is emphasized in Salah, Firmino, and, and, and Mane. And that's how they've decided to, to build their squad. And our, play, our emphasis can be... Obamiang, Mkhitaryan, and Ozil, or Obamiang, you know, Lacazette, and, and Ozil, whatever it happens to be. But we just have to yeah. be more intelligent about how we surround them, and that means we can't blow thirty-five million pounds on Granite Shaka, who, whether you think he's great or not, probably doesn't fit the project. You can't pour a ton of wages into a Colasinac only to determine that he's not a fit. You can't re-sign Jack Wilshire and expect him to start in central midfield if that's not the player for that position. I mean, you have to, and maybe it isn't Aaron Ramsey who gets who gets sacrificed, where you say, we're going to sell him on for big money because there is a midfielder who is a better fit for that role, and that midfielder is Kovacic, Kovacic or, you know, Sari, or not Sari, um, Sari, Jean-Michael Sari, whoever it is. I'm, that's not where I'm strong. But so yeah. we, we have to solve that problem. So, well, let's close with this. It's Stoke on Sunday. Scott, I mean, I don't think this game means anything to anybody, but we know the manager. We know he, he not only... Well, would struggle to approach it that way, but I, I have some sympathy for the idea that when you feel like your position is tenuous, you don't feel you can throw any games away. How do you think he will approach this one with the home leg of the Europa League coming up on Thursday? I, well, you know, we, we're just coming off, a, you know, two weeks off, so I, I would hope that, you know, that you know everybody's well-rested and things can look, you know, strong and, you know, like the team has played together. Um, so I, I would really hope that, you know, you, you see some good cohesion and togetherness and that things look well, you know, all those intangibles um, that you're able to, to work through with practice. So I, I really think that this should be a team that Arsenal blow away. Stoker, not good. Um, they are they probably hopefully will be relegated because I really don't care for, for Stoke all that much. So um, even with the, the Europa League, um, you know, that's in going to be four days away so you have a game on sunday and you know game on thursday so it's it's not like there's a, a huge you know that you have to worry about a game in three days that you have to worry about so i think that this should be a game where you you feel the fairly uh, strong team and you work on things um that you want to be able to use against seska and be able to you know kind of use this as a, a warm-up to get you going and you know maybe maybe yeah, get a two or three gold lead you know and then take some of the guys off at 60 75 minutes and you know get them a rest would you, so you would not rotate at all for Thursday? No, I think this is a, a when you come out, you get a strong match. We've had two weeks off, so it's not like anybody should really be tired. You know, maybe well, I mean, you know, they, Ramsey, they may have played maybe, for maybe Ramsey, maybe Ramsey. Yeah, maybe Ramsey. 
that's true. But I mean, you know, these were pretty light, friendly kind of. Well, things yeah, where, no, you know, Ozil didn't serious, play in so. the second one. And th- all right, so yeah. you would go full strength. You'd try to get them sharp for Thursday. I, I might might have to disagree a little bit there. But but Clive, what about you? I mean, would you would you go as full strength as you can to get sharp for Thursday as well? Yeah, I, I would do. I'll give or take one or two players, I, I would do. The people, obviously, the, the club know the ones who are on the edge, so I'd look after them. But I would, I would go strong. And the reason why Elliot I'd go strong. We need to get the fans back, right? We need to get the momentum back in the club, right? So I know that you've dismissed the game, but every game does mean something, right? So we need to create some momentum. We need to get a series of wins. And yes, Stoke means nothing for our season, but, you know, I've been been to the ground a couple of times lately and it's not a good place where there's big rows of seats that are empty. Right, it's not a good feeling, and we need to get those seats filled up again. And I think by chucking games like Stoke and treating them, treating them as not important, I think is a is a mistake. I think we need to go out there and really take them apart and score like five goals if we can, and really get the atmosphere going, really get people talking about positive things again. You know, and Bamian gets a hat trick, Lacazette comes back. Our next podcast is completely different if they both score two goals each. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a completely different mindset we talk about like, next season. You think it'll be a better po- better podcast? Because that would be awesome. Yeah, I think... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we talk about two up front. We talk about positivity. We talk about how we can support them. You know, it, there is much to be gained from really taking this game seriously and, and putting them to the sword, right? And, um, and I hope we do. I hope we take... I, I'd love to see two up front. I'd love to see a little slight change. I'd love to see... Um, get smashed five because I don't like against Moscow another home game we look good we carry the momentum and then we go to the way game with confidence right? and, that, and that's how you build confidence not by chucking the game with a, with a weak team yeah I just you know we play at home on Thursday and I think if it all falls right for us we can end the tie on Thursday I think Sesco will be nervous most of our Europa League opponents have been really nervous and started games really slow i think if we are fresh and firing and ready to go that we can blitz them really put them on their back heels and really end the tie in that first leg and i think that's about energy i think it's about pressing them i think it's about getting right on top of them i think it's ramsey full of running and if lacazette does get a start you know he's he he's full of running and and danny welbeck's you know as as sharp and firing as he can be i just think that we can physically dominate Cheska and, and intimidate them off the pitch. And I just want to make sure that the levels are right and that the team is set up focused on Thursday. And I agree with you that losing to Stoke at home on Sunday would be an unthinkably bad result. But I still think a quarterfinal in Europe on, on a Thursday night will have the right atmosphere and have the right support. And so I'm, I'm not as worried about that because I just think the occasion will feel big enough to lift the crowd on its own. I would start Lacazette if he's fit to start because I think that getting an hour under his belt would be really, really important if the manager wants to start him, although I'm already on the record for saying I think the manager will probably try to go with the same team he went with against Milan, so I'm I'm not necessarily expecting that. I'm not saying heavy rotation necessarily. Obviously, I would not use Koscielny on Sunday. I mean, will you guys at least go with me on that? You know what? I normally would. 
I'm fair enough. I read something in the week in the week that he's discovered the, the Yoga. cure to his ankle problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's probably the most the best message I've <laughs> read this week about Arsenal. I but thought he was still, dead. Do right? you want to so press your luck? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I actually wouldn't play him because he played. He did play in the second French game, right? So I'm um, not the first one. So he played a four ninety in the second one. So. I'd, I'd rest him. He's yeah. the one I'd rest. All right, there you go. Now we're now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that one too. I, yeah, Nick Shelney. You know, to me, it reminds me of when you know Arteta said that he refound his legs doing Pilates. So it, you know, when we knew that you know he really lost them. So uh, it's yeah. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe he <laughs> broke his legs off doing Pilates. I mean, you never know how this thing can go. I mean, God knows if I even walked into a yoga studio, I'd have to be taken out on a stretcher. So. All right, well, look, let's, let's leave it there. I could, I could rant and rave, but I think the key right now is just a nice, easy, injury-free Sunday. What I will tell you is Charlie Adam is suspended for our game on Sunday, and that will at least mean that we have a better chance of coming through the game without someone choking our players to death, which is nice. Uh, always nice when you can avoid that because he is a hideous cunt, and I cannot stand him. In any event, uh, we will definitely come to you with a, a podcast after the Stoke game. I imagine Scott will be back in his box where he belongs. Scott, I, I hope you don't have a problem with that. No, no problem at all. All right. Well, in the meantime, it's been a pleasure having you outside of the box, in this box, in a new box. Sometimes it's nice to get in a new box. Behave. What's uh, in the box? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, seven reference. There you go. All right. Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his great work at crabstats.blogspot.com and theshortfuse.com. Scott will be back with a more statistic section in the next pod. Scott, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. He will be back uh, with us for the next pod just doing regular Clive stuff. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can and should block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review and write terrible, nasty, awful, horrible things about Tim and Paul and Stoke because they're cunts and we hate them. So uh, we will take the rest of the day off, but we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Stoke nil. No.